Attention seniors on Medicare and Medicaid or receiving extra help for your prescription drugs. We have great news. You can change or enroll into a Medicare plan every three months if you qualify, all from the comfort and safety of your own home, over the phone. No one even needs to come to your home. And in minutes, we'll tell you all about some additional new Medicare benefits for you, like dental, vision, hearing, transportation, and more. Call us. We'll explain all your new Medicare benefits. Premiums are as low as $0 per month. Even if you are not paying anything for your coverage now, you need to call our licensed agents to review your plan. There are zero-cost plans available in some areas. Don't wait till next year. Get all the Medicare benefits you deserve. Call a licensed agent today. 800-461-2114. 800-461-2114. That's 800-461-2114. Paid for by Senior Choice Plan. following is a live copyrighted presentation ladies and gentlemen it's time now for radiolawtalk.com with your host frederick penny attorney at law and now radiolawtalk.com Welcome to hour number three of Radio Law Talk. Find us online at radiolawtalk.com. I'm Todd Cunin, sitting in the big guy's chair. I, I'm, I, you know, I feel like I'm that kid at Thanksgiving that finally got invited to the, the adults' table. I'm sitting in the big chair where Fred would sit. He is on assignment this week. They're probably out having fun, doing all sorts of stuff. The weather is great. I bet he's got a golf club in his hand or something. But Fred's not here. Seated to my right in the place of usual prominence denise dirks yes i'm here i'm here and it has been a riveting two hours so far if you missed any of the two hours where can they catch us they can catch us at www.radiolawtalk.com and you can push the live button you can look at the podcasts or you can also go to many of the radio stations that keep podcasts of their shows for weeks at a time. Absolutely. And you can locate us at your favorite radio station. Yeah, and we are – look, the podcast for Radio Law Talk, we are on like all of the services that, that carry podcasts. You can just plug in Radio Law Talk there and find us. And the reason why is if you missed either of the first two hours, uh, usually by Sunday evening, first part of Monday, you should be able to hear what we talked about the first couple of hours. We talked about Bill and Melinda Gates, hour number one. We talked about – about uh, victims' rights uh, in criminal cases in hour number two. We've got a couple of things to follow up with on that, and then we've got other things we're going to talk about, uh, updates on some cases that we've covered. But it's, it's, been a, it's been a fun two hours here, and we, we're looking forward to moving on and doing stuff. Now, look, the reason people tune in, for the most part, is case or no case, where Cal tries to stump us. And, uh, you know, we got that... Coming up here in just a bit, so Cal is uh, going to get this together. Now, so far, so far, we are. Um, let's see, what are we? We Cal has not stumped us at all. Not even close. Not you haven't skunked us the first two hours. Well, with any luck, I can do so right here. Right now. Skunk away. Now it's time to play case or no case. Now to Delaware, the land of loose corporate laws. 
<laughs> Where it's not unusual for companies to spin off parts of their businesses for various reasons. Maybe they feel they take up too much energy from the company's main focus. Whatever. One such company was Vlasic. Remember Vlasic Pickles? Yes. This pickle company, Vlasic Pickle, was owned by Campbell Soups. Campbell's did its proper reporting saying Vlasic was profitable, and then they sold it off. And the new owners went along for a little while and then started hemorrhaging money so much that they realized they were in a pickle. <laughs> you <laughs> saw it coming. set yourself up for that you one. You saw it coming a long ways away. The creditors realized that Vlasic was hemorrhaging money as well. So they immediately went back to Campbell's Soup and said, listen, we want the money from you that we are not getting for Vlasic's or what then was VFB. And so Campbell's went to its lawyers and said, look, we sold this company. We did everything in due diligence. We did it in good faith. So we ask you, our lawyers, case or no case. Denise, you get to go first on this. What do you think about this? Um. <sighs> Who's going to win? Vlasic or Campbell? Well, yeah. there is a reason why you do, when you do a spinoff, you actually do a notice of the sale. And in many states, you have to publish that notice of sale, especially if it's going to impact creditors to that spinoff business. And the buyers can actually purchase that spinoff business without the, the having the, the liability from the former creditors. They can do an asset purchase, right? It, well, mm. an, an actual purchase of the whole business, but it becomes basically a new business, right. and you don't have that old um, debt that's going to attach to it. I don't know whether or not Delaware has that ability to do that, but I assume that it does. And Vlasic Pickles, it, their creditors have options to force them into bankruptcy. They have all these different options. Creditors, I don't believe, have any option to sue Campbell's. So it comes down to can Vlasic sue Campbell's for misrepresentation of the profitability of Vlasic spinoff. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that my instinct is that Vlasic Pickles should have known that they were going to have problems because in the market share, they have to have their pickles. Um, they have to put them in a refrigerated section, and there's a lot more cost to distribution of the pickles. So I'm going to say no case. All right, fair enough. Denise says no case. <laughs> and Todd was thinking the same thing because as soon as you said that, he gripped the table and his face turned white. Okay, Todd, <laughs> Todd what say you? he's got to follow me yeah. now. No, well, case you know, or no case, so my Cal's friend. behind in points, and, you know, I, I, I feel like a condiment question, but he's, he's, buying a, he's buying a points. He's trying to catch up to us here. Uh, May I, I, I please? Yes, I, yes, think yes. He, I think he's relishing in everything that he has done here. Relish. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. yes that's nice. I love it when I feel like I have to explain a joke, and then Denise gives me like, no, I got the joke. It was just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. I got yeah. it. I got and, it. Yes. And since you've done stand-up, you know they're no good if you have to explain yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not very... Um, okay. You know. <laughs> so what do you think? So I'm going to say that, look, there is this duty that every purchaser has of assets due and corporations to do due diligence. So love that concept. If, uh, you know, it, it's like, look, the information was there if you wanted to review the financials and do everything. If you chose not to, tough, okay? And, uh, and, and the only way one party can get in trouble – so if you have party A – so slap me around here – who is it that sold and who is it that bought? 
Campbell sold spinoff Vlasic pickles. Okay, so if the purchaser of the spinoff of Vlasic tried to do their due diligence and Campbell's worked in such a way through subterfuge to prevent them from learning what the financials were and what was going on. Or I, deceive them. Or de- well, I, I... It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Look, yeah. if, if, if your due diligence is, well, they said they were profitable, that's one thing. If it was... They, <laughs> well, they said. Yeah. <laughs> I like but, that time. But, but look, if they receive financials absent somebody being able to prove that these are fraudulent financials that you know you carried the one when you should have not carried that's a different animal altogether but if the information was there and the company buying Vlasic didn't do their due diligence I'm sorry you just you, you got bad representation you didn't do it and so because of all that and because they do this kind of analysis when they buy and sell I'm going to say it's no case because I think that would have happened, and it would have been. And, and I'm also doing this because so Todd is piggybacking on Denise, and I'm doing this because I'm being benevolent, which is a word very often, not very often said in relation to me to describe. Me. And frequently does not come out of a lawyer's mouth. So here's the real question: Is this a case? Or no case. Those of you who said it was not a case, that would be Todd, and that would be Denise. You are both so smart and so wrong. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, so I finally got you. Yeah. The District of Delaware ruled in favor of Campbell, finding that Vlasic Foods, a company spun off by Campbell in March of 1998, was solvent at the time of the spinoff, and that Campbell's is not liable for the plaintiff for the claims of Vlasic's unsecured creditors or any other claims or damages. Ironically, one of the lawyers representing Campbell's in this case was named Lipton. It's a true story. Really? <laughs> in the law firm, a partner in a law firm representing them. So, yeah, that, that is true. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is case or no case. And I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry you didn't, uh, you know, get that. But. Well, listen, listen. Like I said, I was being benevolent um, because I wanted Cal to get points. And if I, if I if I had said case, it would have negated that. So look, we all got points today. Thank you. You know what? He's just sucking up to you, Cal. I know. And I'm going to go have some chicken soup afterward. I'm just. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. <laughs> Cream of mushroom soup. Thank you. That's my favorite. Oh, that's even good too. Thank you very much. And that's your case or no case. So if you want to call in, have anything to comment on, you've been, if you've been listening, you got any comments on anything we talked about the first two and a half hours, two hours or so. We'll be back after this break. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. If you're one of those independent people who wants your own business and you love food service, we just might have a great opportunity for you. Iceberg Drive-Ins. Iceberg is famous for its thick shakes and delicious food. We lend you our supply chain and expertise, and you can potentially have a thriving, successful, fun business that your customers will love. Iceberg Drive-Ins has some prime areas available right now, so if you're interested, get in touch with us right away. Go to icebergdrivein.com and click on the Contact Us button. Iceberg Drive-In, ready to grow with you. At TicketChocolate.com, we believe that simplicity is best. We also know that chocolate is one of life's finest things that can help you savor your greatest moments. 
late night visits with old friends, overdue romantic moments, and quiet mornings all to yourself. See their wide variety like hot chocolate sticks or creamy marshmallows and a lot more at TicketChocolate.com. They remind busy people like you to take time for the pleasure small things can give. TicketChocolate.com, where simplicity is best. Learn how thousands of smart homeowners are investing about a dollar to avoid expensive home repair bills. John, a former non-customer, said, My air conditioner broke and I had to spend $1,900 to fix it. Jeff, a customer, wrote, My air conditioner broke and I got a new one at no out-of-pocket cost. Mary, a former non-customer, wrote, My heating system stopped running. I had to spend $3,000 to get a new one. Lisa, a customer, wrote, My heater stopped working. I got it fixed at no out-of-pocket cost. For about $1 a day, you can have all the major appliances and systems in your home guaranteed fixed or replaced with HSC's home warranty coverage. Call now and the first month is free. If the lines are busy, please call back. Call now, 800-238-9182, 800-238-9182, again, that's 800-238-9182. Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy, some uncle I never knew, called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him, like, a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called the IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy, and I'm happy too. Thanks, tax doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay less. 800-263-2610. 800-263-2610. That's 800-263-2610. If your loved one has passed away due to COVID-19, pay close attention to this message. You could be entitled to a death benefit of over $300,000. The U.S. government has set up a fund to pay families relief if they've lost a loved one due to COVID-19. We know this is a hard time for you, and this fund has been set up by the federal government to help ease your pain. The compensation includes a death benefit and lost wages benefit. Time is limited, so we urge you to make a free phone call right now. There's no cost to you for this claim. All legal fees are only covered once you receive your money. So if you've lost a loved one due to COVID-19, call the legal helpline right now to find out if you qualify for a cash award. Here's our number. 800-918-7092-800-918-7092-800-918-7092. That's 800-918-7092. Paid for by the IPG Law Group. This is no fun. That's true. Now it's time for more Radio Law Talk. You know, Cal, the, these kitty bumps that you're playing here. Yes. Sometimes they hit a little close to home. I mean, you could call them, <laughs> I mean, the age difference obviously is, is different, but you could call them um, things that Todd has heard while on a date. This is no fun. That's true. <laughs> 
Okay, so, you know, just uh That is anecdotal. <laughs> that is anecdotal. <laughs> that is anecdotal. Yeah, Todd, Todd has... Todd has kitties. Yeah, see, there what you does go. What Todd's cat see? It's, 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 kind, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like Cal went and took every comment on my former Tinder profile and then had kids read them. Thank you very much, Cal. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Anytime. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Here we are in the... Just... Uh, in the first quarter, or starting the second quarter of the third hour. For those of you having difficulty with fractions, I apologize for that reference there. But uh, Todd Kuhn and Denise Dirks here on Radio Law okay. Talk. We, we've been talking, and, and Cal stumped us. At, we, we finished Yay. the case or no case. Cal stumped us, so he gets some points there. He did. I, you said three points at one point, but I thought it was only two points. No, Cal gets Cal because we're handicapping for Cal. If I scratch all three of you, I get three points. Yeah. Okay, okay, because I've got you up to twelve, but I was each. Oh, I see. I did give you three points. Yeah, but I only gave you two points. There was one oh, time I, I only it. got two. Yeah, so that's why I had ten. So, but yeah. anyway, yeah. Yeah. So not so that it, it matters to any of us. <laughs> so if Fred was here, you would have gotten three points. Yes. Okay. No. If if Fred was here, Fred to prevent him from getting points, it would have said it's a case. I don't know why, but I just don't want Cal to get points. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because he's only a three-time Emmy. Award nominee. Oh, nominee, but never a winner. But never a winner. We almost made it through an episode without that reference. <laughs> oh, my. And I'd have been grateful because the one time I said, and Fred, how many times did it take you to pass the bar? I got the Denise Dirks arrow look, you know, the, the, the death the look, arrow look. The look of death. Exactly. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, brother. And uh, so so we've all been. We've all, all good fun. We've all, all been victims of puns, and that segues into, uh, you know, Last hour, we talked about certain rights that direct victims have and stuff. I think one thing that people don't realize is that the the uh, the scope of victimhood extends to indirect victims of crimes. All right. And, and this is what this is what I'm talking about. And, and we're going to cover a couple of cases. There's a there's a case that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit about a juror on a pretty high profile case. And, and look, this, the verdict came down 10 years ago, and this, ver- this juror is still lamenting what her ultimate vote was. And to a certain extent, the actions of others have now impacted. She was just going along her merry way until she receives a summons in the mail for jury duty. She gets impaneled with the jury. She makes it into the box, when, and she's kept as a juror and then has to hear all the evidence, and it was a heinous crime. And, and see all the evidence. And see all right. the evidence. And I'm glad you said that. And it was tough as a juror. But, you know, jurors aren't the first ones that um, in the course of a crime that suffer because of images they've seen. What about the first responders, the the, the medical per uh, personnel in an assault case or a murder case, the or coroner, firemen or the policemen, the policemen, crime scene photogs is another example of people that have to record these images and they're there. Now, now listen, when we talk about victims' rights through a constitutional amendment in California and other states, obviously those rights don't extend to these secondary or tertiary victims that are they're too far removed. Those victims' rights are for the folks that are. Um, the direct victims and their direct family members, but still it, it impacts others when they have to help adjudicate or resolve or bring to justice the perpetrator of crimes. And so, you know, it's, it's Cal and I were talking uh, before the show today and we we're talking about the stress that say first responders feel. And look, everybody has stress in their jobs, right? 
I remember when I was my first job, I was flipping hamburgers for a local uh, burger chain up in Yuba City, California. And I remember going home my first week. I was stressed out because I had to remember the order in which the condiments and the sauces went on a certain hamburger. And I and I was 16 years old. I was paranoid. You got people that are that, that stress out about I got to stock these shelves right. And anybody can be stressed out by their job. Now compare that to somebody whose regular job duties sometimes require them to come upon scenes that are horrific, or to get called out to a house and they have to interview a, a young person about something that they claim happened to them, and you got to keep it together because you're law enforcement. Right. Um, or the stress, for example, of at any given time. I don't care if, if, I'm, if I'm a law enforcement officer and I'm pulling somebody over. It could be because they got a tail light out. It could be because they were doing 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. But at any given time, I'm either going to – I could come up to somebody who says, thank you, officer, didn't know the tail light was out. Or I could come upon the exact same situation and I got a guy pointing a gun at me because yep. they don't want to get caught for something. Exactly. That's stress. And then, and then we say, well, we don't want – Victims of sexual assault, for example, which we don't, to have to go in, and we, I say with the metaphorical we, when we say we don't want them to go into court and have to relive this trauma that they had to go through and testify. But nobody says, we don't want the cop, we don't want the ambulance driver, we don't want the medical examiner or whomever to have to relive their stress. We don't focus on, on these individuals as well. And I'm not saying that they should be the primary focus. The victim is always the primary focus. But... This is something we need, you know, the suicide rate among police officers and first responders is very high right now, and it's getting a little higher. And I can't help but think that this is one of those reasons, because those images that just can't go away. And just think about the people that testify at the trials, the witnesses that are percipient witnesses that saw the activity uh, and the misconduct. And think about, you know, in in Floyd um that that case that just came down. Right. Um, the witnesses in that case were compelling about how they suffered, how they felt like they had failed this person, how they should have done something, how they felt like they needed to take action, and they were just sitting there and standing there and watching. And you know, I think that that pressure and that um, thought that they had that they needed to do something more is really prevalent. And that powerless feeling, the feeling Absolutely. of no power. Yeah. Absolutely. So when we come back from the break, we're going we're gonna to talk about a juror in one case. Then we're going to get to a couple of cases where we're picking things up, of uh, cases that we have handled in the past to give you updates. One murder trial is back underway after a long delay due to COVID. And some interesting testimony has come forward there. We're also going to follow up on a personal injury award that is still in the millions. Don't go away. You're listening to Radio Law Talk on your favorite radio station station or online at radiolawtalk.com. See, we didn't mention my Emmy failings, and so far, fingers crossed, we have not mentioned Johnny Depp. Stay tuned. More Radio Law Talk <laughs> is coming up. Don't go away. This portion of Radio Law Talk is brought to you by Strauss Naturals. For more information, go to straussnaturals.com. That's S-T-R-A-U-S-S, straussnaturals.com. Wayne Elliott here to tell you about my experience with Strauss Naturals Heart Drops over the past 20 years. Strauss Heart Drops saved me back then and changed my life forever. It's hard to describe how invigorating it is when you support your healthy blood flow everywhere. There is scientific evidence that Heart Drops ingredients help maintain healthy lipid concentration. Cholesterol is in the blood lipid group. This supports blood flow, our body's most important function. 
I was able to maintain a healthy heart and blood flow. Strauss Heart Drops work, I can assure you. No contraindications with pharma drugs. Strauss Heart Drops are safe and Strauss guarantees your satisfaction with a hassle-free guarantee so you can't go wrong and certainly have nothing to lose. I've seen folks taking heart drops that have greatly improved their lives. Available online at StraussNaturals.com. Thank you very much. These products may not be right for you. Always read and follow the label. I've got to get my car washed. This dirt, it just won't do. The best thing about Quick Cut Car Wash is whenever you go through, the smell in your car is always great, and they have super fun lights and colors. But I don't have no time today. I don't know what I do. Your car smells good and it's clean at Quick Cut Car Wash. And I know this place right down the road. Quick 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 Quack car, car, car Wash. Quick Quack Car Wash. Get the quick quack confidence. Hop inside, let's take a ride and watch this cat and shine. Get the quick quack habit. Take your car once a week. Just come and see, I guarantee your ride will steal the show. I like quick quack because of the mascot, Quackles. Come on, quick quack car. So we sell unlimited membership for per vehicle. You can add a family plan and add an additional vehicle at a discounted rate. Don't drive that dirty car. Are you struggling with a high cost of pre- You are a loser. That's true. Now, Radio Law Talk continues. Here's your host, Fred Penny. So if you uh, think back uh, 10 years ago, or about 10 years ago, and the, the incident occurred obviously before then because um, we don't time travel in our judicial system, <laughs> unlike the movie Minority Report, but whatever. Uh, so if you think back 10 years ago, there was the Casey Anthony case. Now, she was accused of and charged with and stood trial, and the accusation was that she had killed her children. Her child. Uh, her, her child, right. Yeah. And, um, and she was acquitted of the more serious charges and anything relating to the death as she was convicted for providing false information to police officers, but she was acquitted. And, and look, this was, a, this was a trial, full 12-person jury, and recently one of the jurors, and Denise pointed out that I made a hasty generalization, and I did that in my defense because I really quickly, I, had seen, I was looking at the photograph that was associated with the article that I had written that came from Fox News. And the photograph was of Casey Anthony, but looked female. And, you know, anyway, Todd Cunin, stupid. Well, you know, you had a good shot at it because there were seven females on the jury and five males on the jury. So chances are more than 50 percent would have been a female. The history of my life has always been, even though females were in the majority, it never bettered my chances. But anyway, it's as if he lives in Alaska, guys. Yes. So um, so anyway, uh, this juror came out. And if you read the context of the article, it's one of the male jurors came out and said that that case still haunts him. And he still struggles with the decision that he made or that he went along with as the juror and, um, and, and how things turned out in that case. And when you read the article there, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about juries and what the jury is supposed to do. But this is where I feel really bad for the guy because I understand why he feels bad. And I actually, I I can't talk, absolutely believe based upon his comments and how he describes the evidence that he absolutely made the right choice 
in the verdict that he was part that he participated in. Okay, so Denise, what is the burden of proof in a criminal trial? Beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, l- listen, that is, if you think about it, that's difficult. Okay. Because it is contrary to the way we usually resolve disputes in everyday life. Normally, if you have two people come to you, anybody who's a parent, you got two kids come to you and they're, you know, so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that. The way we resolve disputes is, okay, who do we believe? Okay, I believe you more than I believe you, and so I I believe person A more than I believe person B, so I'm going to agree with person A, right? Or if you're making an important decision, you do the pros and then you do the cons. And you kind of weigh it, which has more pros or which has more cons. And so by a preponderance of the evidence or probability. And that is the way I think we resolve primarily most of the disputes that come our way. Now, with that as your background for how you resolve disputes, say you're asked to sit as a juror on a criminal trial. you got to put that method out. Now, if I believe you a little more than I believe her, guess what? That's not enough to convict. I got to believe the prosecution's story. I got to believe the – if I'm a juror, I have to believe the theory of the prosecution to such a degree that I now have an abiding conviction that what the prosecution is alleging and the elements are met, that's true, not just overall, but each individual element. If it's a DUI case, I have to have an abiding conviction that you were driving, an abiding conviction that your blood alcohol was 0.08 or higher. You know, that's what I have to have. And it can't be like horseshoes and hand grenades where, eh, close enough. If you're, this is a question that I've asked in jury selection as, uh, as a prosecutor and as a I asked it as a prosecutor to make it sound like it was a great guy, but asked it as a defense attorney because I wanted the jury to know this was the standard. It was, listen, if you're looking at this case, if you're looking at any case, and and you come away thinking, you know what, it's a really close call, but I think the needle tips just in favor of the prosecution a little bit, what's your verdict? Guilty or not guilty? Because your verdict had better be not guilty. Because if that is the level of your conviction, the needle just tips a little bit in favor of the prosecution— that's not enough in a criminal case. You got to believe the criminal case with an abiding conviction, reasonable doubt. It's not reasonable to doubt any of the evidence. You can't get that if it's just really close, right? That's- right. In the Anthony case, there was a lot of defense. They provided um, a lot of defense. They provided this theory that um, that the child had died in, uh, you know, had drowned, and that the grandfather, the maternal grandfather, had actually perhaps been involved in disposing of the body. And there was like all kinds of stuff that had gone on. And she was only being charged with uh, aggravated uh, manslaughter, and she was being charged with child abuse as well as the lying to the officials. Yes. And so they they did convict her on the lying to officials, which I think was right because there was absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind that she lied about where she worked that she lied about where the child was that she lied you know there's all these different things that panned out to being a clear lie which raises my question when you're doing a case like this do you, or, or any case do you ever sit there and say listen does anybody on god's green earth have a sense of moral fiber in other words an understanding of what's right and what's wrong anymore a grandfather supposedly takes a, a deceased child and hides it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? 
Don't you think to yourself, who would do that and what on earth is wrong with you if, in fact, that's what you did? Does that ever cross your mind when you're advocating for that particular individual? Yeah, he was never charged, so it really never right. came up. But you still, don't you wonder if when you hear that as a fact in the case or a testimony in the case, don't you go, really? That's yeah, that's the reasonable do. doubt. That's what think people about do it. in Florida? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, that's what raised, in my opinion, that's part of what raised the reasonable doubt in this case. And one of the things we forget about is the actual face of the victims in, in criminal cases especially. And here we have an anonymous juror 10 years later that's still struggling with the decisions that were made or not made in that case. And, and that person feels much like they are a victim in a way. They're not acting as a victim, but they still feel and are responding like a victim. And, and that's the interesting thing about this particular story. And it's that somebody might read the story and think that the juror is lamenting and that somehow the jury did something wrong. They should have come back with a guilty verdict. Now, based upon everything he said in this article, he did absolutely the right thing. And I'll tell you why. This is a quote from the article. He says, quote, she seems like a horrible person. But the prosecutors did not give us enough evidence to convict, close quote. And the fact is that as And that was on the aggravated manslaughter and child yes. abuse. And the and the fact is that when you look at that, he can sit there and think, yeah, I'm probably sixty five percent sure she did it. Maybe even a little more. She's a bad person, it was probably, but they did not give us proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you're as a juror, if you're sitting as a juror on a case, then your your responsibility, your obligation is if the prosecution hasn't met the burden, you shouldn't throw them a bone or help them out by lowering the standard. It has to remain proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And this isn't a professional that's doing a job here. This is a person who is in, in the public and becomes a juror and doesn't make the decision to become a juror, really. A lot of times they just become the jurors because they got called in for jury duty. So you're looking at the face of a victim that you would not expect and that it lives with them a long time. And I think that this person did the right thing just like you do, Todd. I, and I, I feel like the jury as a whole did the right thing. He just felt like he wished he had maybe fought a little bit harder for yeah. them to consider the evidence if I'm the def if I'm Casey Anthony's defense attorney, I'm looking at this going, I, I don't know why we I don't know what we did or what we thought about to keep this guy. But we this is the type of juror that we kept. We kept a juror that can still have empathy, can feel bad, can 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 weigh the evidence, but understands what their burden of proof is. So I have a question. You yes. know, you hear a lot about the true victim, the actual direct victim in a crime. Um, when is it that it should be considered that? They didn't know they were about to be killed or something. And how is that a mitigating factor? Is it a mitigating factor in, in a criminal case? Funny you should ask that because when we come back from our break, we're getting ready to you – know, about 30 seconds here. We're going to talk about that and, and how that evidence has come up in a ah, pretty – a case that we have followed for some time, probably longer than we should have. But that was because of COVID and there was a delay in the middle of trial. That evidence has come up about – what did the victim, it's a murder case, what did the victim know and when she, when did she know it and why that might be relevant in the trial. So when we uh, come back, we'll talk about that and some other things here in uh, Radio Law Talk. And remember that you can call us at 855-LAW-RADIO. 
That's 855-529-7234. Or you can visit us at radiolawtalk.com, www.radiolawtalk.com. And you can even contact Cal through info at radiolawtalk.com if you wish to shed light on a topic or give any kind of a topic for case or no case. Absolutely. Always willing to listen and learn. Just got a call right now. I'm listening to that's not a case we're going to put on the air too specific. But listen, always willing to listen and find out what people are thinking. So feel free. This is Radio Law Talk. We'll be back. All advertising for legal services on Radio Law Talk is strictly for the state or states in which the advertiser is licensed. For more information, go to radiolawtalk.com. Learn how thousands of smart homeowners are investing about a dollar to avoid expensive home repair bills. John, a former non-customer, said, My air conditioner broke and I had to spend $1,900 to fix it. Jeff, a customer, wrote, My air conditioner broke and I got a new one at no out-of-pocket cost. Mary, a former non-customer, wrote, My heating system stopped running. I had to spend $3,000 to get a new one. Lisa, a customer, wrote, My heater stopped working. I got it fixed at no out-of-pocket cost. For about $1 a day, you can have all the major appliances and systems in your home guaranteed fixed or replaced with HSC's home warranty coverage. Call now, and the first month is free. If the lines are busy, please call back. Call now, 800-238-9182. Again, that's 800-238-9182. If your loved one has passed away due to COVID-19, pay close attention to this message. You could be entitled to a death benefit of over $300,000. The U.S. government has set up a fund to pay families relief if they've lost a loved one due to COVID-19. We know this is a hard time for you, and this fund has been set up by the federal government to help ease your pain. The compensation includes a death benefit and lost wages benefit. Time is limited, so we urge you to make a free phone call right now. There's no cost to you for this claim. All legal fees are only covered once you receive your money. So if you've lost a loved one due to COVID-19, call the legal helpline right now to find out if you qualify for a cash award. Here's our number. 800-918-7092. 800-918-7092. That's 800-918-7092. Paid for by the IPG Law Group. Jason Ross back here with Fred Penny, managing attorney from Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers. Now, Fred, what type of cases are you dealing with now, and what sets you apart? Jason, we help people with all types of personal injury cases. We're former insurance company trial lawyers. We understand the other side, which gives us a distinct advantage over our competition. Remember, we don't get paid unless we win. That's Penny & Associates Injury Lawyers with locations throughout California. For a free consultation, go to pennylawyers.com or give them a call 1-800-616-4LAW. That's P-E-N-N-E-Y lawyers.com. If you're one of those independent people who wants your own business and you love food service, we just might have a great opportunity for you. Iceberg Drive-Ins. Iceberg is famous for its thick shakes and delicious food. We lend you our supply chain and expertise, and you can potentially have a thriving, successful, fun business that your customers will love. Iceberg Drive-Ins has some prime areas available right now, so if you're interested, get in touch with us right away. Go to icebergdrivein.com and click on the Contact Us button. Iceberg Drive-In, ready to grow with you. 
This is Denise Dirks. We can represent clients in divorce, legal separation, child and spousal support, custody, termination of parental rights, step-parent adoptions, guardianships, and even conservatorship matters. Call 1-877-886-7186 for a consultation. The law offices of Denise L. Dirks provide family law services in Northern California. When the law affects your family, call 877-886-7186. The family of attorneys at Denise L. Dirks is here to help. Not all law firms have extensive experience in all areas of the law. It's wise to look for firms that have knowledge and understanding in your particular area of concern. So go to ProLawFirms.com. They have listings of attorneys in key areas of practice, such as family law, estate planning, personal injury, bankruptcy, and so forth. When you're looking for a lawyer that has extensive experience in your particular area of need, go to ProLawFirms.com. That's ProLawFirms.com. ProLawFirms.com is not a law firm and does not endorse or recommend any specific law firm. This is the best show ever. Not literally. This is Radio Law Talk. So going into the break, Denise asked a question about why certain evidence might come up in the middle of a trial and why it might seem if, you know, If you look at a question or something that happened in a trial in just a snapshot moment in time, you could be scratching your head wondering, well, why is that relevant? But then when you look at it a little bit more, you realize why this might be relevant uh, to the determination of guilt in a criminal trial. Now, uh, let's narrow this down to an actual case. Uh, For those of you, you might remember we've talked about Robert Durst quite a while. He's a uh, heir to a fortune. And he is right now being charged with uh, and on trial for the murder of a woman named Susan Berman in Los Angeles. And it's not the third trial murder trial for him. I think it's his second. His it's, second. It's his second. And, and and so this is the history of the case. Robert Durst's wife many years ago went missing, and people have suspected that he killed her, and and her body has never been found. And Susan Berman was a confidant of Robert Durst's. And, um, and, you know, just a very close friend and a confidant. And this was several years ago. Now, he was never tried for the, on the disappearance of his wife. That case is unsolved. Uh, in the interim, or, or after that, at some point in time when he was living in Texas, he was involved in another uh, death of an individual. And this person was killed, and, and, and Durst admitted that he killed him and dismembered the body and threw the body parts into the Gulf, but I believe his defense was he claimed self-defense as a result of that, and he was acquitted of that charge, that murder charge, and so he didn't, he was not convicted of that. Um, Then Berman, or or, uh, let's see, Durst was doing a documentary on H, that was being done by HBO, and they mic'd him up and they interviewed him, and during a break in the interview, Mr. Durst went to the restroom, and the mic was still on, and while he was in the restroom, Doing his business, um, he made some statements that would lead one to believe that he had just made a quasi confession. Uh, confession along the lines of "They got you, you did it, you've done it now." In, right, right, right. Inter- you killed them all. <laughs> intermixed with the sound of going to the bathroom and flatulence, but still, you could still hear all the words. And as a result, the uh, the at, at this point in time, he'd already been acquitted in the Texas, but uh, incident, but. His wife's disappearance, that crime had never been solved. And so 
um, you know, people think that that was an admission on his part that he killed his wife. That's the way it was being interpreted, which reopened an investigation. After that occurred, Susan Berman, who had since relocated to California, turns up dead. Now, she was the confidant of Robert Durst. She turns up dead in her house, having suffered a single gunshot wound to the back of her head from a 9 millimeter. And the theory is that, that the allegation is that Durst had gone to Susan Berman's house, that he had at some point in time maybe confessed to her that he did it with regard to his wife, and that he killed her to keep her quiet so that he couldn't be convicted of that investigation that was being reopened. And as a result... He is now facing charges of murder for the murder of Susan Berman. Now, the, the trial initially started in March of 2020, but because of COVID, it was adjourned and it has been placed on hold until recently. Now it's back in. Uh, they allowed for the prosecution and the defense to kind of give a semi-additional opening, but to discuss what has happened so far and what witnesses have testified to, which is unusual, but probably necessary considering the length of time. And complexity. Yeah, and the complexity. And so they just completed that type of a recitation, if you will, of what has occurred and the evidence and their view of the evidence so far. And, and, and one of the, you know, when they resumed testimony, one of the first people that they inter- or that they put on the stand was a guy named Mark Fajardo. I think that's how he pronounces his name. And he was the chief forensic pathologist. And he's talking about this bullet wound to the back of the victim's head. And so the evidence is that uh, it was to the back of her head and was probably fired at a range of no more than two or three inches. It was very close. And, and so the, the headline in the news, and this is one that we, uh, this was a Fox News one, but I saw this on other news outlets, was medical examiner says it's possible a victim didn't know she was about to be murdered. And I, I remember reading that thinking, uh, yeah, okay. That's so like, is that a mitigating circumstance because you, he took her by surprise? You just, so is that going to be a defense for you, Mr. Durst? Is you just a, described most murder victims. <laughs> is this a brilliant conclusion or what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like saying <laughs> a medical examiner determines that people who died have their hearts stop beating. Okay, great. Uh, you know, it's or always, the people that get shot and uh, from behind and don't know it's killing them. Well, that's a more compassionate murder. Exactly. That would, I mean, that would be on. a defense strategy, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But, but so, so when, you, when you look at the context in which this evidence comes in in the trial, though, it begins to make sense. And the reason here is that, you know, they, they, the evidence here is that nobody broke into the house. Okay, if the defense is saying we didn't do this because Durst is saying I came upon her body and she had already been killed, I freaked, I ran. So the defense is saying this was some other random act of violence by somebody else. Well, the problem with that is there's no forced entry into the home. Uh, None of the telltale signs are are there of any um, other wrongdoing other than the fact that she's dead. Uh, that this was a robbery or a burglary. The, there were no fingerprints. Place had been wiped clean. So the idea here from the prosecution would be that um, if she was killed inside of her home, she knew her attacker. She allowed the attacker to come in, and when she had turned her back, the the attacker pounced. The, the attacker pounced. Okay, and so and so, but the medical examiner, because it was in the uh, in the back of the head, had to clarify. And this is a point for the defense. Had to clarify that. No, just because of the nature of the bullet wound, it doesn't necessarily mean that she knew that she was about to be murdered or that even she even knew who her attacker was. 
And so that's why this is coming out, because it's, it's going to – the prosecution's going to use this to show he went in, wiped everything down, waited until she, tur- wait, wait she turned around, shot her in the back of the head. And, and she didn't show any def- – there was no defensive or anything that would indicate that she was clued into what the risk was at that point is what the prosecution is saying, right? A- absolutely. And the defense, rightly so, is using the same – it's always great as a defense attorney when you can use the prosecution's witness to make your points. Uh, a little tip on cross-examination. It's not always about trying to prove the person to be a liar. Sometimes the opposing expert will say things that you want them to say, and it's great when you can get that out. And so here in this case – they were able to get, well, you know, given the nature, it could have been an execution-style killing, which would have been more consistent with uh, you know, a gang or somebody that came in. It was, uh, you know, uh, some other n- nefarious activity. Some enemy doing. somewhere. Yeah, right. And so that's why this is coming up. We'll see how this goes forward um, and, and what impact it has. I think that if the biggest problem here is I think if there's a conviction, I could see Durst saying, you know, the judge should have declared a mistrial and picked a new jury. Because given the length of time. That's the thing that strikes me about all of this. All of this complex testimony, all of this rehashing. And now this gives this jury a lot more time to think about it and deliberate at least internally than they would have had had they been dismissed to think about it as a group, right? Absolutely. Because I can tell you personal experience, and this was in 2020 just before the lockdowns hit, I was in trial. It was supposed to be a five, three to five day trial, ended up going five weeks on a, on a felony case. Wow. And... The jury, we got arguments. The jury reached a verdict, by the way, full acquittal. And, um, and, and everything happened. The lockdown went into effect about two days later. I can't imagine being in a condition, a state right now, where I had to go in and start that trial from, uh, from where we left off if I had to start it right now given the fact that we now had a year layoff. That, that would yeah. just be mind-boggling to me. Yeah, so be very difficult. I can see this, and I get that. So this will be interesting to see if that could be a factor in appeal. I mean, could that if, be a factor in appeal? If, if, if he's convicted and he can make the argument that he was prejudiced by the delay, that it, he violated due process, should have gotten a new jury with all this, maybe we'll see. But uh, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be up in the air. But we have something coming up now right at the end. Oh, we do. It is time now for Denise and Todd Kunin, ladies and gentlemen, to wrap their arms around everything we've spoken about on radio, everything we've spoken about on Radio Law Talk, and give you their quick takes. And Denise, with your permission, I'd like to start with you. Yeah, I'll start. Um, I just discovered that I am the long-lost illegitimate stepchild of Bill Gates. Do I get $10 million? (laughs) Maybe. Mr. <laughs> Kunin, what, what say you for your quick take today? Uh, my quick take. Why do we have proof beyond a reasonable doubt? Doesn't that make it harder to convict people? I'm going to say this. It's better that 100 guilty people go free than one innocent person spend a day in jail. That's the theory behind our justice system. Thank you very much, Mr. Kunin. Thank you, Todd and Denise. Thank you. Thank you, Cal. Uh, tune in next week. Hopefully the big guy will be back if he's done having fun and playing. I expect we'll have a best of next week as it's Memorial Day weekend. Oh, oh yes. All right. Um, you guys want to play. Yeah, so please have a, a meaningful Memorial Day weekend, and we will see you the two weeks after that right here on Radio Law Talk. Until then, so long for now. You have been listening to RadioLawTalk.com, a copyrighted presentation of Radio Law Talk Incorporated.
You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-280-2144-800-280-2144-800-280-2144. Call right now. That number again is 800-280-2144. 